You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Lamgoat presents the Van Flip Podcast. What is up? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Van Flip Podcast, or welcome to the Van Flip Podcast, if this is the first time you listen to the podcast. I don't know why I keep saying welcome back every week. But anyway, this week we are on the pod with Jake from Judiciary, Judiciary the West Texas crossover thrash band. Welcome to the show. How are you doing, Jake? I'm doing great, man. Thank you for having me, dude. How are you doing? doing well it's a little early and i was out late last night you know it's the weekend uh i was admittedly i was at emo night with the singer of yellow card <laughs> so it was uh it was a little wild time you know all the little little ladies there going crazy for the acoustic uh ocean avenue set type thing but i live in jacksonville so he's big here you know what i mean so what can you do yeah it happens it happens it does happen uh so it's a little slow going this morning but anyway outside of that how are you doing uh i'm doing great man it's uh i i me and my girlfriend both just kind of got over a week of being sick um i was actually sick a week before that with a sinus infection and then right after the sinus infection i think i caught like a, a stomach virus or something like that Oh, awesome. so it's been miserable but i'm finally on the up and up and i feel like a human again so this is perfect timing so it's it's a it's a rainy day in San Antonio, Texas, where I live, though, so it's uh, I'm probably going to stay in most of the day anyway. <laughs> I feel you. It's probably also that weather's probably not good for your sinuses and everything like that anyway. But we got a little overcast situation uh, here in Jacksonville as well, so I feel that. Um, yeah. You guys just dropped a new album, although this this podcast will come out probably like in a month from now, so just fair warning. So, but uh, you guys just dropped a new album last week, uh, Flesh and Blood. So, um, how do you feel about it? Uh, I feel great, man. Um, I feel like the response has been um, kind of overwhelming. Um, I was I, I was truthfully like a little bit, um, a, as everybody is when they release new music. They're like, kind of, I was kind of worried. It's like, what if I believe in in the music so much, but it's like, what if this sucks and I just don't know? You know, <laughs> yeah, um, you're too close to but, it. You know? Yeah, exactly. But um, I think that people like it. It was a little bit of a sound shift for us, um, but I think that people received it well, and um, I'm happy. Um, I, I, I'm I'm super happy with how everything turned out. The whole package of the record, from front to back. So um, yeah, I'm I'm just glad it's out in the world because it was a it was a whole process getting that thing out. So. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned like a little bit of a sound change. Do you want to go and elaborate on on that a little bit from you know, yeah the last record to this new record? Yeah, so so basically, um, since since we started the band back in 2013, like we, um, our mantra has always just been like, do cool shit because we like to do cool shit. Yeah. Um, do do stuff that you like and 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 
uh, things will come to you essentially and um, basically our trajectory of the band has been like progressively more metal throughout our discography because our demo was just straight up hardcore yeah access of equality sounds like we were just listening to a bunch of thrash and then surface noise sounds like we were kind of in the middle of like metal crossover mm-hmm. like kind of thing but we were listening to a lot of master killer at the same time you know what i mean <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. um but with this one it was like we kind of took a step back and we we're just like okay so we don't want to make surface noise part two We've already done because the Axis of Equality is an EP. It was like that's a crossover EP, like through and through. We we didn't feel like another like going back to crossover. We didn't feel like that would be a natural progression. It almost felt like it would it would be a weird step, not even back, but to the side. Um, and so we thought like, how can we kind of expand what we can do here? And what we kind of landed on was like, let's just kind of self-reflect on like what we listen to overarching like in within guitar music what we found is that we listen to um i mean a mix of stuff like death metal some black metal um but a bunch of like early 2000s and late 90s metal kept popping up into our brains mm-hmm. i mean we, we kind of wear like like early machine head stuff on our sleeves and like so that was a big one and then like god hates us all kept on like yeah. popping up into yep. our mind and so it was like okay like how do we take that and apply it to judiciary and what we landed on is like if we swing wide with these this genre stuff like if you put my voice over it it's still gonna sound like judiciary and people are still gonna say it sounds like a hardcore band, mm-hmm. even if we're trying so hard to write like a purely metal song or whatever mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of what we like landed on of what we should do because that felt like a natural progression and it felt like it would still feel like us and be authentic and be something that like we like as like music fans mm-hmm. and like I, I think we pulled that off in, in my mind because it's like it feels like all five of us kind of had our our hands really deep in this and it feels like the natural progression of where we should have gone anyway. Yeah. So yeah, it, it was it was a little bit nerve wracking just because it is a little bit different, but um, I think it I think it paid off. Yeah, I, I want to agree with you on the reception part because a lot of uh, a lot of what I hear around and you know obviously we reviewed the record uh, a couple weeks ago. Colin was a big fan of it, although he did make a joke to me because I asked him, you know, hey, what do you want if you had anything to ask, you know, judiciary, what would you want me to ask them and. The one thing he did say was, "Why don't they sound like All Out War any- again or anymore?" But clearly, you kind of uh, you know explained it a little bit. But that my yeah. my question for that is like, is that like a natural progression? Obviously, because you were younger when you were in two you know 2013. That's almost ten years ago. So I don't necessarily I don't know how old you are, but um, you know you you made a straight up demo hardcore band you know a hardcore demo, and then you just kind of progressed. Obviously, we you, you your palette changed with your probably musical interests and intake like you were saying you've been listening to a lot of other other influences and other metal influences so it's been pretty cool but again i think uh, a lot of people have been talking about the record in a positive manner so you know fears be yeah fears be gone yeah well and, and like the the all-out war is still there like i'm listening <laughs> i'm listening to like for those who are crucified mm-hmm. we weekly like condemned to suffer are you kidding me? Like we we have to take notes from them, yeah. and it's like, 
you know, like the hardcore stuff is definitely still there. Like when I say like we're Oh, I agree. Listening yeah. to it. yeah, like we're we're still hardcore kids at heart. Like no matter, we can't fucking help help ourselves but to like put stuff like that in there. Yeah. Um, and so like, yeah, I think I think that that's like a bunch of people's questions is like, especially like the people who, um, really like the more crossover stuff that we do. They're like, damn, why, why'd you kind of, why'd you kind of step away from that? But like, it it didn't feel right. That's 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 the main reason. That's a good that's way to reason explain. why. How do you feel yeah. about uh, how do you feel about All Out War's new record? Because they just dropped one. I love a, it. Yeah, a couple months ago or weeks ago or something. I, I love it, man. They swing wide too. Yeah. Like they on that on that new record, they're going like they have so much black metal stuff in that new record. That's yeah. like and like Mike Score's voice is like unbelievable, man. He's it, it's crazy that they've been a band since shit since I, I to answer your question. I'm 27. Okay. They've been a, they. I mean, I think uh, for those who crucified came out in '95. Mm. They've been a band since I've been alive. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And and they're still putting out crazy good records. It's insane. Yeah. yeah. So you were 17 when the demo came out. So that's a you know. And again, uh, that kind of explains too why you guys made more of a hardcore record. No offense to anybody in the band because you also have members that are in other bands. Uh, Israel is still in Gate Gate Creeper, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you know you have other you have other members in other bands, but obviously at a younger age you're not. And I don't know how, if everyone's the same age as you, obviously, but at younger ages, you're not as good of a player or as good as a vocalist or as good as a drummer in that time frame. So, you know, and no offense, because I love hardcore. I'm on a big hardcore kick in my later stage in life anyway. I prefer it more to metal, unfortunately. But uh, it's also a little easier to write than, you know, uh, metal. It's not as noodly, doesn't have as many, you know, different uh, guitar parts and all this stuff. It's, but it definitely works. So that makes sense as, as you got older there's a progression in you know not only your style but your playing and your skill level yeah that there was a there was a joke that israel made a couple weeks ago and he was just like you know for like a couple like i think on surface noise a couple people made comments that like israel and jimmy or like it, it, jimmy didn't write on the last record but israel didn't show off enough on the last record <laughs> and he was like he was like people just wanted me to play guitar so on this record me and jimmy played guitar yeah like and so, yeah, I think that's that's exactly what they did. I don't like to bring up the pandemic a lot anymore because we're we're past that, right? But there hasn't really been a lot from you guys, uh, and I could be wrong, but we haven't we haven't really posted a lot or heard a lot about you guys up until this new record uh, kind of you know press movement. Hey, what's up? It's Lurk. Looks like you're enjoying the podcast. If you are and you like what we're doing here on the Van Flip, why don't you go ahead and pause this and give us a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening to. If you want to find out any information on your favorite bands from the hardcore and metal scene, visit lambgoat.com. And to stay in the loop about everything that we post on lambgoat.com, make sure you like us on Facebook and you head over to Twitter and Instagram and follow us at lambgoat. Are you a full-grown adult and you also have a TikTok account? Congrats. Follow us on TikTok as well. You can find us under the username lambgoat.com. That's spelled out D-O-T-C-O-M. Head over to our YouTube channel where we have all of these podcasts in video format plus a lot more content that you should check out. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and you hit that notification bell so you're always alerted when we upload new content. And last but not least, if you want to follow me, Lurk, the host of the show, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at LurkCity. And as always, if you need any of the links that pertain to the artists on the show today, Lambgoat, or myself, you can always find them in the description. Thanks for listening to this message. Now let's get back to the show. So you guys had surface noise in 2019. Then obviously you had the pandemic come like within the year or a little close to a year after that. 
Um, but you guys also have only played like a handful of shows, it sounds like, after I researched it a little bit uh, in the last, you know, year or so. So what's been going on in the time between, you know, the last record, COVID, and, and this album release? So that was just kind of a pro. I mean, a, a true product of the pandemic. Because, okay. like, our, our original plan was... So we got off of our last tour before the pandemic. It was um, the Gate Creeper Exhumed Necrot tour. Um, we did that at the... It ended in December. And then we had uh, FYA Fest, LDB Fest, and then a show in San Antonio, like, in February. Um, so we were like, okay, we'll do that was in 2020 and then we had another fest in april uh for, it was like the what was supposed to be united blood mm. and uh we we were like okay we'll do these we'll start writing in march and then after united blood we don't have another tour until august so we were like oh we can like hunker down and you know jimmy will fly down we'll write like you know knock this record out within like six months or something like that and then March of 2020 hit and it was like oh shit we can't see each other right now because like obviously nobody had any education of what was going on nobody knew what was going to happen everything was shut down Um, so like we found ourselves kind of just sitting with our hands up going like okay how do we maneuver this Um, so basically it was a long 2020 March through the end of 2020 and like the beginning of 2021 was literally just us trying to get our bearings because uh, the only person in our band or the only people in our band that knew how to use recording equipment so that way we could send stuff back and forth yeah. were our bassist Kyle and our guitarist Jimmy. Okay. So we had to buy software and equipment for Austin to program drums and Israel. We bought Israel like a whole like a computer <laughs> and an interface and a whole setup. <laughs> And he had to learn like how to record his own guitar parts and program drums, so he we could send our ideas back and forth. And then, like once things started loosening up towards the end of 2020, we got Jimmy down to Texas a couple of times, and because he he lives in Milwaukee, mm-hmm. so like it's it's pretty crazy. <laughs> um, but uh, so we we got him down a couple of times and fleshed out our ideas in person because like. Our ideas just aren't complete until we get in the same room, essentially. Yeah, I guess. Um, so, we, I, I, I believe we had it mostly written out like in March of 2021, and then we went and demoed with our friend Matt in May of 2021, and then it was. We, we rewrote some stuff with Matt and then immediately after we demoed we are like okay we're ready to go so we booked with Arthur and Arthur is a busy busy man mm. now like mm. he is very hard to schedule with so coordinating our schedules it, which also included Israel's busy gate, gate creeper schedule because yeah. that's his full time job now yeah. like <laughs> yeah. uh, he we had to coordinate Arthur and Israel schedules and all of our life schedules together and that ended up working out in September of 2021 so then we record with Arthur schedule a mix with Will Putney Mm -hmm. and then the time we had allotted got taken out because of a flood that happened in in New Jersey that was really bad Wow! Yeah. 
And so then, after he gets his stuff in order, our record our record is still unmixed, and he has unearthed in the studio for six weeks. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, we yeah it 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 took a while, but just because he didn't have the time, that was kind of the story. Was we were just kind of like, it was it was a it was a thing of like hurry up and wait. Yeah. Get it done and then wait. Yeah. Essentially, and like that carried over into a few other things, and then you bring in like the massive delays with like record manufacturing and stuff like that that everybody was feeling and experiencing so like that put a a damper on things and then we had like we had to get art done we had to get this done we had to get that done so it just turned into this long arduous process and during that process like with shows it was like okay how do we we don't want to tour because we don't have a new record like we're running on fumes off this thing already so it's like Let's play as many one-off shows as we can, keep ourselves alive, and then once we get this new record out, people will kind of like come back and understand. Um, so, which was a struggle. It was, felt like we were sitting on our hands the whole time. Yeah. Um, but I think that like that long arduous process helped us kind of fine tune and get something out that we like really, really like love and are proud of. Yeah. So it was. It was a. Uh, it's pain in the ass, but we got it done. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you got to take the lumps and keep moving, you know. But uh, yeah, and again, you know, I think it it, it worked out because you know you you release it at a time where n- not so many things were obviously being released released at the same time. You know, you March is usually like a slower month. You know, if you waited a little longer or whatnot, the summer is a little more busy. And then you had last year, you had you know the fall or whatever had a couple bangers come out. So. It kind of helps you stand out a little bit too, but obviously you don't really necessarily know what the what other. I mean, you have an idea probably, but you don't necessarily know exactly what's coming out when you're planning like your schedule for everything. So, you know, that's also kind of a fingers crossed, Grim and Barrett type situation because you don't want to compete with other bands or other bigger bands that can foreshadow you. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And like certain stuff in the world can like True. take out your record too. I I was I did a. Uh, Hard lore with uh, Colin and I love Bo. that podcast, man. And oh, uh, they're they're the fucking best. <laughs> yeah. And Bo or uh, Colin mentioned that Andy's new record came out on the same day that like the Supreme Court was like banning mm. abortions, or the fr- they announced it on the yeah. same day. So all the they, attention just shifts. So all the attention went there, rightfully so. Mm-hmm. And then the day it came out was the day that that passed. Double fucked. So yeah, yeah. So they they just got double fucked by the government, and that game, that record's awesome. Yeah. So it's like, it 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 just sucks that it happens sometimes. Yeah. Is it tough having you know Israel Moonlight in both bands because you know obviously, no offense to any of any band or whatever, but Gate Creeper is a bigger, more uh, known band, and they they do seem to tour a lot more too. So. Is it tough for you guys to? Because I, I mean, I know you guys have, you've had other projects as well. You know, you and the other guys uh, outside of Israel have had other projects and stuff. But how difficult is it to kind of just like juggle? Just like I mean, I, I know you all have personal lives, like you were saying, and personal schedules. But his seem his may seem to be like more busy because he is part of this bigger unit. You know, Gate Creeper. Yeah, I mean, it's it it's it's tough, but he is willing to do whatever it takes to make it work for us. Yeah. And truthfully, like 
he's he's fucking awesome man like i it's worth having him there and like we've built like we have a bunch of friends and a good pe- like a good group of people around us that it's like we can plug and play like if he's got to do something for gate creeper we can have somebody that we can we can bring in to help us out um and so like that's what makes it worth us for us in and like on a personal level that guy's been my best friend since i was a teenager like it's cool it's so he's in fucking australia right now yeah yeah i was gonna say that's like like why you're not doing something right now because you know they're doing an australian tour yeah he's he's posting a picture holding a claw like i'm happy for my friend Mm -hmm. like he uh so like it's it's tough at times because sometimes we have to kind of like work around our schedule because like just like me austin and jimmy and kyle have jobs like gate creeper is is his full-time job so we have to like it, 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 w- it would be unfair to him for us to hold that against him and like you know we make do like it it it, it works out that way and when he can do stuff with us he does so yeah. it works out plus I, I fucking love Gate Creeper like, yeah I mean who doesn't if there, <laughs> yeah if, if, if there's one band that like it's like oh you we like of course go 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 do it with them yeah They're awesome uh, we, we, we had Chase on the <laughs> podcast you know, a year or two ago, so uh, we're big fans of Gate Creeper as well. But, um, God, what was I going to ask you? I was just asking, just had something in my head, but then we started talking about that. But whatever. Uh, what kind of jobs do you guys have outside of uh, judiciary? Um, if you so want to talk about I, it, obviously. Yeah, I, I I won't go into like employees or anything <laughs> like that. But I I I work a like a I work a sales job, like okay, an industrial cool. sales job, um, and then. Uh, Austin does like copywriting. Uh, we we both went to uh, Texas Tech and we had a bunch of classes together in the in the media and communications building. So um, is that how you guys and, met, or did uh, you guys just um, knew each other? No, before that? I, oh yeah, me and okay. him have known known each other since kindergarten. I, oh, okay, I, uh, long time, bud. Yeah, I, we uh, we played t-ball together. We rode the same bus together. Um, we've been he's he's my life partner, even though he's married. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, he uh, we we've known each other since we were kids, and like we we've just been best friends forever. Um, and uh, yeah, so we we've we we went to high school together. We lived together for years. We've toured together. I've spent more time with him than I think my own flesh and blood. No pun intended. I can see that. Um, yeah, I mean, I but, can understand uh, that. Not see it, understand it. <laughs> But yeah, so he he does a like a copywriting job, um, and then Jimmy's a barber. Um, that seems and, to be a, uh, a that seems to be a thing in the in the scene. A lot of barbers, a lot of hair, a lot of people doing hair. He's he's new to the barber thing. He's uh he he started that over COVID because uh, he was a uh, he was a bartender before, and then mm. no yeah. yeah no yeah, no people that. to serve. Yeah, so he kind of had to shift, and he loves it so. Um, and then Kyle, Kyle works within uh, within corporate America. Um, he he does kind of like a niche specialized thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's and then gay or Israel's just a full time rocker. Yeah, that's cool for him though. Obviously, diversifying his income streams, you know, so he can just do music full time because he's got you know that project, which is like you said, full time. And then he's got your thing, uh, Judiciary. That yeah. It's not. I don't want to say it's not full time, but obviously, like who knows? Because now you have a new record and a new thing out and things could change and you might he might have two full-time jobs he has to juggle you know um yeah what is it about texas that has these like 
heavy fast paced bands like you know you, we've we had yeah we had power trip obviously we just had i am on the podcast not a you know a couple weeks ago uh then you have gate creeper and you have all those other bands that are just like really killing it out of texas what like what is it about it is it just because it's like there's a lot of room a lot of sand and a lot of heat or you know and everyone's pissed or what it's it's just ingrained in the DNA, especially like bands that will come from Texas hardcore, mm-hmm. which is a lot of the bands that have broke through like the ether of like the heavy music scene. Like um, you take into account like Frozen Soul, Creeping Death, yeah. um, <clears throat> us, Scourge. Now they just came out with a new record. Yeah, that's a banger uh, too. Power Trip, Power Trip, obviously. Um, they all we all came from the Texas hardcore scene. And um, a bunch of that is just due to like the, I guess the pioneers of the of the early two thousands. Like there would be, it, speaking to us, there would be no power trip without Iron Age. Mm-hmm. There would be no judiciary without power trip. So everything leads back into Iron Age and like Far From Breaking and those those bands from that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and people always like to like. Uh, I don't know if you ever seen the meme. It's like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Iron Age is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are bitter in a power trip. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. like it's it's true. It's more true than ever, especially of like bands of my generation of like us, uh, Creeping Death, I Am, Frozen Soul, um, Scourge. Like it, they we all fucking take notes from them, and that's that's why. Yeah. I, it's just. The, the and then it even like goes into offshoot bands like Hatred Surge, Mammoth Grinder, and everything like that. Like when I started going traveling, because I'm I'm from Lubbock, it's like six hours away. Yeah. From any of the big city, it might as well be a different state. Everything in Texas like, is six hours away, man. That place is so fucking huge. Driving through that yeah, thing is like, a pain in the ass. <laughs> dude, when we start first started going out of town, it was kind of hard for us because people didn't know who the fuck we were because no other band had come from Lubbock, mm. so they were like. They kind of were like unsure about us at first, um, but like, yeah, like when I first started going to out of town shows, like I was blown away by like those those type of like metal leaning bands, and it's infectious. So that's why all of these other bands take notes and they just follow along. That's why there's a Texas sound. The second you hear like anything metal, you're like, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. makes sense. So. 17 year old you how do you get in how do you start getting into judiciary um you know like what what prompted you was it i mean obviously power trip is a big influence and iron age and stuff like that but like what actually made you say fuck it i want to do that too so i started getting into hardcore probably like a year year and a half before um right around when i was 16 because like i said lubbock is so the population of lubbock is like a quarter million people and that is when the school is in session. The school employs right, right. and houses is it Texas like, A&M? Texas Tech. Texas Tech. Um, yeah. And uh, so the school houses and supports like 40,000, 50,000 people. So during the summer, it drops down to about 200,000. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a pretty medium to smallish sized city for what it is. And that meaning we don't have that many people to go to a hardcore show. The same... <laughs> I swear to God, when I started going to hardcore shows, I started booking hardcore shows when I was 17. Mm. And uh, the the same 15, 10 to 15 people that would go to every shows 
every show have been going to every show since I was like starting to go into shows till now. Dedication. Like it's just it's it's a lot. It's hard to get new people in there just because it's so different from like a big city. There's just not enough people going around. You would think um, though. I'm sorry to interrupt, but you would think with like a population with like a young population just coming and going so frequently from that, you know, like there'd be more bands or there'd be more attendance at that stuff because I mean, obviously, like I'm not saying everybody from that forty thousand you know plus student base would be into this but you would think that even a percentage of it like a small percentage would be in it and they'd want to make bands and they'd want to attend shows which i'm sure they do but you know what i mean it doesn't sound like it's really prevalent we would get like a couple every year like uh reese from creeping death that's how we met them mm. they went to texas tech for like a year and that's how we met reese and then my best friend Amber, who lives in Dallas, she came to Texas Tech. That's how we met her. So that was like another one of the books. We were stoked about that. <laughs> and then like, uh, and then like I had another friend named Ryan who came from El Paso. It, so it was like we would get one every 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 you know. But it, the thing to keep in mind about Texas Tech is like, it's not a like, I think that like. It's not a liberal arts school. It's an agricultural and it's engineering a tech, yeah, it's a tech type school. school. Yeah. Yeah. So like the culture is different and like honestly like if I if I lived in another place and I was like am I going to if I if I lived in like Dallas or San Antonio or Austin or Houston yeah, I see I'd be that. like I'm moving to Lubbock. Yeah. I could go to UT Austin and move to Austin or like oh, I yeah. could go to I could go to UT Dallas and move to Dallas or I could go to College Station and be like 2 hours away from my 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 family. Yeah. So it's like that that's that I think that's why like a bunch of like the the culture's just not there for it. and like hometown people um it's a big farm and ag agriculture city like West Texas exports most of the world's cotton mm. like my grandpa was a cotton farmer mm. so it's like country music is king if you're oh, country yeah. if you're if you're a country band in Lubbock oh my god killing it <laughs> oh you're you're buying a you're you're buying a Fifteen thousand square foot house for two hundred thousand dollars, and you're chilling in yeah. Lubbock, Texas. So, what scenes are good around? I mean, obviously, there's the big cities, but you just mentioned like College Station and Austin. Uh, with the, those are other cities with big schools like Texas A&M and Texas, obviously, University, uh, which I've been to both of those. I've, I I think I was we drove through Lubbock, but years and years and years ago, I I was on. I did this thing where we were going around the country in an RV, a bus that was like wrapped and uh, we were trying to like change the playoff or change the BCS to a playoff system. Again, this was many years ago. It's currently a playoff system, obviously, but, uh, and I'm not going to say that we were the movement for that, but we stopped in like all the big city, all the like division one cities and like had these little things. And so that's why I was, that's why I've been to like Austin and college station and all these little college towns that have these big schools in them. So, um, yeah what is it about uh do you guys like there's certain states that just pop and it seems like texas is popping now too you know like certain states just kind of kill it at a certain time like florida and like i don't want to say new york but like the northeast so certain pockets have these like really big you know collective movements going on and it seems like a lot of texas is getting a lot of shine because it's fucking sick, man. <laughs> I was just like, I, I, I think it's just because Texas is kind of isolated down here. So, like, we kind of 
even though Texas is a huge scene that's popping, there's still kind of a mentality of like you Texas Texas supports Texas overall. Mm-hmm. There's no disputing that. If you're from Texas and you're good, you will get support, especially within Texas hardcore. Um, but there's I think that for bands that want to go outward and go across the country and uh, overseas and everything like that, there's a mentality of like you have to make people fucking care about it. Like, and I think that some you know uh, what what especially us like being from Lubbock like. Being isolated in Texas is one thing. Being isolated in Lubbock is just another extra <laughs> yeah. layer on top of that. Um, so, like, you have to make people fucking care, and I think that that's what it is. It's just, like, these bands are hungry. They've been taking good notes, like I said, from the 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 people who built the shit, like Iron Age, Bitter End, and mm-hmm. Power Trip, and they just want to fucking do it. That's, that's, all it that all, that's all it comes down to. And I think that's just, you know, the combination of that that makes it foster good things. So when you were starting to do shows and booking shows and starting to attend shows, did you have to travel a lot outside of Lubbock to, you know, and how far would, would like, what's the closest? Was it College Station? Was it, you know, a different city around you that you'd have to follow, uh, travel to? So the closest cities to us are Amarillo, which mm-hmm. is two hours north, <clears throat> And then Midland slash Odessa, which is two hours south. Yeah. Um, when we first started as a band, Midland and Odessa had like a, a decent DIY scene. They had this DIY yep. venue called the Pine Box. Yeah, I remember that and, one. Um, yeah. Or I yeah. remember like shows would be listed, like Love it, I'm sorry, uh, Midland and Odessa would be always on tour packages back in the day. So I, I remember that. Yeah. So like we when we first started that was kind of when the pine box was ending i was going to pine box shows before that so we would drive two hours which is not not really much like two hours there um, two hours back or just two hours in general total time four hours yeah, total two time. hours two hours there two hours back oh fuck, uh, four hours yeah Dedication. four hours total through through a bunch of oil fields that's <laughs> the most boring drive ever um and uh so yeah we we, we played a couple of shows there um, Amarillo kind of their scene had a good thing going before we were a band. They had this band called Cannonball that was, um, you know, doing a lot of great things. And then they they ended, and I think that a bunch of people hopped off after that. Which like they have the same problem Lubbock does. So does Midland and Odessa. There's just not that many people hanging around. Yeah. Um. So, uh, then it was like, okay, we gotta get out of here. Um the first show we played outside of Lubbock was in San Antonio where I live now uh, favorite place to play like it's it's always good and you'll hear a lot of bands say like every time they go to San Antonio it's unbelievable mm-hmm. um, we met um, the guys from Afflictive Nature and Hardside at a show they played in Amarillo we, we drove two hours to go see Afflictive Nature and Hardside drove two hours back home met them at the show and they booked us a show in San Antonio for a couple months away. Um, yeah, which was really cool of them. And so we started going to San Antonio and there would, there was some shows where we would drive six hours to San Antonio, play the show and then drive back overnight Mm. six hours. Yeah. And young young bucks, young bucks could do that. Yeah, we had to. Yeah. It was like, 
oh, we can skip a night of sleep and go to work the next day. Like we can, Ooh, it's no. worth it. We're get we getting to we're getting to play cool shows. Yeah. Um, and then we did like it took us a while to to be able to play Dallas, um, just because of like like I said, people didn't really know us at the time, and like they thought that we weren't, you know, we we were there for something that they didn't they, they didn't trust us essentially and it was like I got it um all those bridges are mended now how long did but it like, take to grow like that like how long did it take you guys from like you know 2013 2014 to play in like those bigger cities like how much like you know how much work and how much time was put into that we were playing San Antonio in 2014 so it didn't take very long for them Dallas we didn't get to play until 2016 or 17 um, and that was just because the DIY scene didn't want anything to do with us. Mm. Um, and why like would that said, be? Like, do, you, do you do you have a reason why that was? Or I think they just thought we were dorks, which is like fair. <laughs> like, Keeping, uh, got it. I got it. Yeah, but like like I said, all those bridges are mended now. Right. And it's like, it's it's all it's all good. Um, but like, uh, yeah. So like, it, it took us a while to get to Dallas. Um, but like once we started going to Dallas, we did the same thing. We would drive six hours, play Dallas, drive back. We played this fest in Houston uh, called Falkor, which is no longer rest rest in peace because that fest was awesome. Um, and we we drove nine hours to Houston, drove nine hours back. Um, we just made it work, and we we've we've always just tried to make it work as much as we can. I think the the biggest make it work we've ever done was uh, I was. I was still in college at the time and uh, we got invited to play for the Children Fest in LA mm-hmm. and uh, Cruel Hand and who was it? Cruel Hand, Purgatory Lifeless I think um, they invited us to play like three shows like Arizona, LA, Bay Area and I had a final on Monday and so I was like the final was at like two o'clock three o'clock so i was like okay so we leave the bay area california Lord, yeah at this time you're talking about san francisco oakland right that bay yeah okay just making sure i i was very ill-advised like if you're (laughs) so stupid of me to do but but it was like oh yeah i can i can make it uh we drove 26 hours from the bay back to Lubbock just so I could make my final. I got I got back home. I didn't sleep. I studied for like four or five hours. Took the final. Slept for sixteen hours straight. And then I woke up and saw that I got a beat. Oh nice. So, I was gonna ask you how did the t- how did it go? What was the final for, if you don't mind me asking? Like what what type of final was it? Or the subject? Oh, um, I want to say I went to school for public relations. I want to say it was like a PR theory class, so it was like really wordy and stuff like that. Like there was a bunch of like textbook definitions that I needed to like memorize. Um, so like it was it was kind of hefty, but I, I made it work. I gotcha. Um, that was my other question because you said your your grandfather had like you know uh, agricultural background with the cotton thing, and you went to a tech school. So I was curious as to what you went to school for, but you obviously said the PR situation or the public relations thing. And uh, I was curious if you had any kind of like, if you went to school for the, like agricultural type things, but clearly you went to the tech school for the public relations stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah, ne- I, I was never a, a ag guy. My my grandfather passed before, um, or he passed right after I was born, I believe. Okay. Um, so I di- I didn't really know him. Um, but uh, yeah, he he ran the the cotton farm, and my mom and my dad and all of my family always tell me stories about working on the cotton farm and shit like that. So, um, so yeah, what, never was a ag guy. What got you into the PR situation? Was it just because you were booking shows and just networking and stuff like that when you were younger, or like what drew you to that? It felt like something I was I could be good at um, was the the main thing. I think that it was like it's a media related thing. It was a broad thing. And I could apply it to what my interests were, which was like music and everything like that. So it, it kind of worked out in a way. I learned a lot. That's actually, I, I do like freelance graphic design on the side. I do like um, shirt designs and album covers and stuff like that. I learned that while I was in college. I had a really cool professor. And uh, she, basically the whole class was like, it was an elective class called PR Design and Practice. And um, she... It was basically just teaching you how to make like promotional stuff, like flyers and yeah. pamphlets and brochures and everything like that for like for businesses and stuff like that. And you're doing it for fucking shows and bands instead. It's yeah, completely well, different so, a little bit. Well, so that that was the funny thing was like she took a liking to me because I I think I was the only one in the class that was like genuinely interested in like learning the stuff. Mm. A bunch of people were just trying to get a credit, and so I asked her because I told her about judiciary and I was like, hey, my band has like some stuff coming up. Like, could I? Like whatever projects we have, could I base it around like my band? And she was like, "Oh yeah, go for it." And because a bunch of other kids, like with their projects, they would like they would do it with like based around like their fraternity, make like stuff for like a hypothetical clothing brand or something like yeah, that. Or like I was a just different doing brand it. or something like that, like a bigger brand that's already kind of known or whatnot. There was a there was a tour flyer. I think it was the it was the same semester we did for the children actually, which is funny. Um, I made the tour flyer for a project in my class and I got an A on it. So it worked out. Nice. Yeah. Well, uh, you, you say you have a sales job now. Do you want to do stuff in that field like PR and stuff like that? Or do you handle like PR stuff? Or, uh, obviously you said you do side work with design and everything like that, but do you do anything in like actual PR or do you just focus on the design stuff? I don't, but I, I, I'm very, very interested. Um, I, I've thought about doing, I don't know if I ever will, just because like it's you know it's just a thought in my brain, but I'd be really, really interested into um, you know doing maybe some like publicist work, some writing work or anything like that, um, just because like I, I learned a lot during my college time, and like I'm, I'm a decent writer, so like mm-hmm. I'd, I'd be interested. And you have like the in for that. You have a PR publicist person, so you know what I mean. Yeah. Like you, uh, it might be cool to like handle the you know the band stuff. Like I, again, through like a company, not just uh, you know you yeah. and the band. Like you know DI. Well, you could do it that way too, but probably be better to use like a mailing list from an actual company and stuff like that, or a bigger publicist. But yeah, I mean, um, you've ever thought about you know moonlighting like that too? Yeah, I, I mean, I'd, I'd I'd be down. I think it's just mainly like I know I have connections. It's just I always get in my head when starting something new that it's just like deep in my head I know how to go about that, but I get in my head and I say I don't even know where to start. Like I don't know how to yeah, go about it that. It does. Then, it is kind of daunting when you you know just for anything like writing a new album, uh, trying to do anything with the band or do anything outside of your normal day to day life. Like trying to a new job per se right like those are very big tough decisions and you know that's why a lot of people stay 
where they're at too you know a lot of yeah. people get in their head and their way and they just stay where they're at and they're complacent which works for some people but you know also it they don't realize that they could improve the quality of life and their just uh overall morale by switching up things because you don't necessarily realize like some negativity is coming from your job and some negativity is coming from like you wanting to do all these things but again being too confused or too scared to where do i start or how do i start so yeah well and i think it it stems from like just the time the free time that i have at the moment like between having a full-time job and like doing especially the pat like leading up to the rollout of this record fuck man like we were obsessing over everything so it was like it was consuming my brain at all times like i kind of like shoved off graphic design for a while just because i was just like if i i like the creative headspace i need for like how obsessing how obsessive i am over this this record i don't know if like i have the the bandwidth to shovel that out to other people right now um so i i'll probably get back on the horse soon and who knows maybe i'll get on the pr horse uh soon because i've been thinking about it heavily especially like dealing with the rollout to this record um our publicist has done a great job and like with what we've um been doing so far but um yeah it's definitely piqued my interest yeah and again like you have the interest i mean you have the uh the connections for that obviously yeah you you work in that realm a little bit uh what would you be doing um like what? What's sorry? I'll get back to that question. What is? Uh, how's touring difficult? Is touring difficult for you guys in your jobs and and stuff like that? Like when you do actually have to book tours, or have you not had to have that conversation with your current employer? So uh, we haven't had anything like too heavy come our way. Um, and again, if, like, if uh, I should probably preface, this comes out in a month. So, like, if next week you guys are announcing some big tour or whatever, you can talk about it on here. It's not going to come out. Yeah. And we won't say yeah. anything prior. No, we're, we we have some stuff in the works, but, like, it's it, nothing's uh, going to be announced by the time uh, this comes out, I believe. But, um, yeah, like, we, we haven't run any, into anything too heavy. Like, we haven't had to leave for, like, a month since, like, I think the, the most we've left is, like, two weeks here and there mm-hmm. um and like that was for like a europe tour we had enough pto like between all of us to like cover that and everything so that wasn't even a conversation um the the jobs that we do have um can be worked remote so yeah, that's gonna now, be my, one of my questions yeah my my job is one of those things where it's like they they would prefer you not work it remote <laughs> I feel that. but I've like gotten that yeah but I I can and I'm like I I started the job in the middle of the pandemic like I can work it remote and do great yeah. honestly um but uh yeah so like the the remote situation helps us and I'm currently trying to like find like something fully fully like solid remote within my company um cuz I I work for a great company and I I think that I can excel there um but I I think that if I got the fully remote thing then that just takes a whole thing off my plate Austin's been doing remote work since we've been touring heavy like when we we toured pretty heavy in 2019 mm-hmm. um and he was working from the road the whole time he was working for like an agency at the time and i he would just sit passenger seat in the van and just write all day um and it was good for him like he 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 was exhausted by the end of the tour obviously but like it was worth it because he had money coming in the whole time and yeah. he was secure and uh, he went back to a job so but during that time i was just working 
odd jobs. I was doing like Uber driving. I was doing like food <laughs> yeah, delivery, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is a whole fucking thing. But yeah. yeah. I've done that here or there, uh, in, you know, in the past decade or so, whenever that first started. So, yeah, I've done that just to see what it was like. But, uh, yeah, it doesn't get fun. And then, you know, I'm making like $2 an hour almost, you know, so. But um, what uh, God, what is the favorite, what's the favorite part of writing? Like, is it, for, I mean, again, you know, you have your interest, but for the band, like, do you guys like writing riffs, breakdowns, or you know, swinging, swinging wide? Like, what, what's the favorite of your guys' writing uh, situation? I think it depends on the instance because it's like the second you hear that, like, I, I think one of my favorite moments within writing is when Israel or Jimmy is just noodling on a, on a guitar, and then they're just like, oh, I don't know, man, and like they just do something and then the middle of all this bullshit you just hear the coolest thing you've ever fucking heard you, <laughs> like it's like the the meme of uh leo on on once upon a time in hollywood where he's like sitting on the couch he's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah 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 and and everybody's like yeah, follow that follow that so like i i love when that happens um on this last record we did like some writing in the studio especially like regarding solos and everything like that um, Arthur kind of like helps shape a few of the songs pretty heavy in the studio. Um, I like that a lot because I feel like once it's like mostly fleshed out and you don't have to worry about like the bones of the song and you're just adding like if you got a sandwich and you're just adding more mustard on top, I'm cool with it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like so, you should have said I, hot I like sauce for for Texas. You should have said hot sauce instead of mustard. I'm down with both, man. <laughs> I, feel you, I feel you. Yeah. Um, we brought up money a little bit ago, and um, one of the things I like to tap into on on these you know podcasts is that it's very uh, you know because some people from the fan side of things they'll they'll see a band on stage and they'll see a band touring and they'll see a band put a record out on a label like you know this that or the other and they they might assume they might assume that you know they're signed and they're they're killing it they're making money and all this other other stuff and some bands are you know respectfully. But yeah. a lot of these bands in our little world, you know, um, they, they, you know, come home in the red sometimes, you know, they obviously sleep in the van for most of the summer or most of the tours, you know. So what's the hardest part when it comes to like money and making money out, outside of your jobs and stuff like that? Because obviously you all have jobs that you can support yourself with, but while on the road or while doing stuff specifically for the band, like how tough is it? It's fucking tough and now more than ever yeah like oh, yeah. everything everything costs more and like i think that's what a lot of people on like the the other side don't understand is like okay especially okay it, it, say a band let's take like a band like speed for example they come over from Australia. Obviously, they're a special circumstance because they're really hot right now. Yeah. And their Australian um, shows are fucking crazy. Yeah. Right now, they're currently. Fucking aw- yeah, they're an awesome band. But, like, you take a band like Speed, just for them to get here to the United States, oh, yeah. that takes, like, $7,000. It may even be more than that because they have to get visas. Visas. And, and then they're fucking playing tickets. And if they're bringing merch, uh, sorry, if they're bringing uh, their equipment over, you know what I mean? That's a whole other yeah, thing. That, Might be that, even 20 grand. Yeah, that's that's the thing is like, people don't factor in 
all those facts. And then they see like, oh, so speed comes over. They spend thousands upon thousands of dollars to get over here. They are here. Now it's like, okay, if not all, which happens a lot, if not all of our guarantees cover all of our costs, we have to sell merch, right? Mm -hmm. Then you sell merch. You have a merch bill attached to that. It costs money to manufacture that, which everybody knows. Um, but like now, that merch is more costs more than you can imagine. And then like some bands are, especially if they're playing like Live Nation venues or stuff like that, they run into taxes. Like you have to do it right. Essentially, you have to yeah. you have to fill out tax forms. You have to like everything's tracked. Like and then you're paying if you're on tour, you're paying for gas and like all these ancillary costs and then these guys have to eat it's yeah. like and, and I, I think that especially in like underground music there's almost it's almost like taboo for like the bands to be like making money yeah which is like i wish the culture wasn't like that because no. it's just like i think i think a lot of people <laughs> may think like if they're making money they're not as underground or you know they're not, not like they're, they're for the wrong reasons yeah or but something like that you know like and there's a famous uh there's a famous video I, I fucking see all the time on TikTok or Twitter or not TikTok uh, Instagram and Twitter and stuff like that it's like this. I can't remember the exact punk band maybe the Casualties or something like that but they're playing uh, they're playing some show in like Brazil or South America somewhere and some kid gets on stage and he's telling everybody like how much they've sold out and they're letting him do this like the band's letting him do this but then he explains you know and it's all in Spanish so you have to read the um, subtitles but he explains that there's, you know, there's like you're saying, there's costs and stuff like that. So like, that's why I like to bring this up, this topic up, because it's not like the band selling out or doing it for the wrong reasons. They're, you know, they're doing it for the right reasons. But like, if you as the fan or the audience of heavy music or underground music want this particular thing to continue, you have to be okay with, you know, bands at least covering their, <laughs> their expenses and then some, because like the and then some allows them to continue doing working on the art and working on everything else when they're not touring and that stuff full time. So yeah. it's, it's one of these weird gatekeeper fucking situations where, you know, and then, you know, you may get too big and then people may not like you cause you're too big. Like, you know, knock loose is so big now. Like that's like a giant band where five years ago they were just an underground band killing it, you know? And then they had the, the blue album come out and fucking blew them up. And now they're playing with slipknot and headlining festivals. Yeah, well, and, and like something to keep in mind is, okay, a lot of the showgoers work normal nine to five jobs. Where like, let's say, uh, John, John and Jane Doe are making fifty thousand dollars a year a piece, and they live a pretty normal life. They can rent their apartment. They can, you know, do X Y Z. There's bands that have been doing this way longer than I have mm -hmm. that do touring sleep in their van every night eat shit for six weeks at a time just so they can come home and live the john and jane doe life they yeah. just so they can come home have the enough money to live the john and jane doe life and then they go back out for six weeks so they're getting the same life that the, that some of these people like i feel like some people would point the finger like john and jane doe would put point the finger at these musicians and say like you're making too much money why are you why are you doing this and yeah. it's like i'm getting i'm getting ju just as much as you 
while not being able to use it as much <laughs> and not getting the benefits that you do like insurance and everything like oh, that. Oh yeah, yeah. So, so it's like the the best thing you can do is just like support these fucking bands, man, especially if you like them. Like who cares? Like why do let let your favorite band get rich. Yeah. Let them be able to No buy, one's getting not rich. Even rich. No one's getting yeah, rich. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Let them be able to buy a car that works. Like, yeah. Let or them pay be their able rent. To, just pay their rent li- and yeah. not have to worry about shit. Basic necessities. Yeah, exactly. And like so many bands like along that same token that I said like sleep in their van every night just so they can come home and like live a normal life. There's a lot of bands that have again been doing it longer than I have that follow that same thing. And they're also working other jobs. Yeah, and I, you know, just couple, so that they can have normal life. And some bands just, you know, like you said, you've lived <coughs> with you've lived with members of your band. Some bands just live together too for long periods yeah. of time because it's cheaper on rent. You know, they all are working towards the same common goal. Instead of having a t- dual income, you may have like three, four, five, six people living in a house pulling you know, yeah. paying bills. But um, to piggyback off of like the Jane and the you know the Jane, John and Jane fucking uh dual income fucking thing i've had conversations off the record with people that are in multiple bands at a time multiple bands that everyone probably knows right and they go home and they make like 30 40,000 a year and that's full time and that's in this per you know they, these people they don't mind it cuz they they enjoy the lifestyle like they enjoy they're about it right like they're about the scene and they're in these bands they're about they're about what it is and they've done it for so long like 20 plus years you know and again these bands are like bands most people know you know but they don't necessarily get you know and a lot of that is like people have retirement you know they pay into a pension they do all this stuff but like i constantly think about what will happen to these bands that are fine living you know on these lower monetary salaries if you want to call it quote unquote but you know yeah hopefully they're putting away or you know building the house somewhere or something like that so when you can't tour you can't or something happens in general right like you aren't able to bring in that income um you know i just hope they're planning for in advance but again you know that that we just need to i don't want to say spend more money but you know as no, it, I mean that's that's quite literally the only solution. Like, yeah. spend the money and support these artists because, like, a lot of this shit cannot happen without like this network of support. Yeah, like, especially with music they, being so accessible and free. Basically, you know, like you can stream the Judiciary record the day it's out at twelve o'clock at night, and then full. It used to be like you'd have to wait for maybe a couple days or a week or something like that to someone burn it or rip it off, you know, or if like a promo got leaked you'd have to like find it on the internet and even then the people that were able to do that were very that po- that group of people was way smaller than the people that had no idea how to get like download mp3s or something like that whereas now you have spotify apple or title or any kind of streaming service anybody can just listen to your stuff right off rip yeah and, and like you factor in like as the years go by streams of income will be getting removed from artists yeah. like even more than they already are like before streaming physical album sales like I, I bet I don't know numbers I don't know how much people were getting paid back then before streaming I bet, a band, I bet bands were making a lot more money yeah, 100%. selling CDs CDs, records, tapes, everything like that and then that's like 
gone to the wayside like because it's coming I, back I'm guilty slightly. Of this. it's coming back a little yeah. bit because like i think old old heads like are you know they just like the physical copies the thing i can't wrap my head around coming back is tapes i think uh, dude i got i got like a hundred tapes yeah i know but do you have a tape player yeah but I, I like do these kids that, that are infatuated with these like a lot of younger kids are tape collectors now but like i don't get it because a that's not the best sound quality in the world. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, the tape's yeah, not the yeah. best sound quality. But, like, how do you find a tape player? And are people, like, are younger kids walking around with, like, a Walkman or something like that? Just, you know, with the headphones on? Uh, I, in, in my case, mm-hmm. I think tapes are fucking cool. They're compact. They're cheap. They are. That's what's cool about them. I do like um, the aesthetic of it and the, the long pull-out book. And it's very nostalgic for me, obviously, because I did grow up in a time frame where tapes were still massively prevalent right it was cds and tapes but you know i was at the tail end of the tape legacy and cds were taken over yeah see see that's i I think that that's another thing i think just popped in my head um that i think is cool about tapes especially now i feel like you finding a record pressing of a album that you like is way more common than finding a cassette of an album that you like oh yeah especially a new one so it's like I feel like I get way more joy going to a record store, going to the tape wall, and I find like, what was the thing that I got? Oh, I found like a a, a carcass surgical steel, like original tape, in the middle of a tape wall for like three dollars. Yeah. And I was like, holy shit, yeah, like <laughs> that that feels like way more like, oh, like I get way more excited about that, especially like metal hardcore tapes, like they're just like fewer hard to find. If I saw like God, the amount of like spunk and soul and R and B tapes yeah, that yeah, you just yeah, kind of yeah, have to yeah. shuffle through, like which like I love it. Like I'll buy like a Marvin Gaye record anytime I see it. But like, um, yeah, like it, it, I don't know. I just I love tapes. And then like tape players, you can you can find them at like e- eBay. Oh like, yeah, little they're, they're, home they're tape super players. cheap. They're super cheap now. But you know, yeah. it's just. Uh, and I'm not saying I don't buy tapes. I literally bought like a Horse of the Band R. Borlax tape like the second it dropped. And I'm like, Sick. in my head, I'm like, am I about to fucking start collecting tapes too? You know, because I have like hundreds of CDs and hundreds of vinyl. And like I started collecting that. And people are like making fun of me years ago. I started collecting CDs again. And now look at you bitches. Everything, everybody wants <laughs> CDs again. So yeah. it sucks because like now the CDs are getting more expensive because people are paying more attention to CDs. But it used yeah. to be, like you said, it was like two, three bucks for a CD or a tape or something like that. And, uh, yeah. you know, because vinyl was always going to be like more expensive. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I, I, I think that ta- tapes coming coming back is really cool, in yeah. my opinion. No, I, and don't, that's I like, don't disagree. That was the first physical thing that Judiciary ever sold was cassette tapes. Nice. That was. Yeah. On the demo? And, the demo back in the day? Yep. And. If anybody is listening to this podcast, there is one variant of physical music that I do not have of ours, and it's the the demo tape with the Texas flag sticker on it. And if you have that, sell it to me for not that much money. Yeah. Because some guy, some guy, and I think Southeast Asia tried to sell it to me for eighty dollars, and I was like, no. That's wild though that it's out there. You're like demo your seventeen year old self demos out there in Southeast Asia. Southeast Asia loves us, man. It's crazy. They've been. They've always been. I'll, I get a I get a video sent to me like every couple of years or so of some some new band covering acts of equality and it's always yeah. the coolest shit ever. It's, it's weird because Southeast Asia is huge for hardcore. It's so strange. Oh yeah. I remember when I was uh, I had a shitty band in the early two thousands, 
and you know we would get like these plays from like southeast asia countries like thailand and all these other like indonesia and i'm like what the fuck who's out you know and they were not like massive streams or massive listens but they were like enough for us to feel like enough for us to like notice and be like what the fuck you know what i mean and i was thinking yeah. like that's got to be like a a mistake or something you know like some you know some bullshit but then you start seeing online like bands coming from there you know bands are putting out stuff from those southeast asia areas and it's hardcore it's metal and stuff like that and it was kind of wild that was like late 90s early 2000s and stuff that i started noticing all that i don't know if you you saw the video but like last year a couple months i can't remember when it was a band called whispers i'm not sure where they're from i think it might be singapore or thailand um but if i'm wrong forgive me um but they played a show and again if i'm wrong forgive me i want to say they played a show in bangkok somewhere in southeast asia that was like in the middle of like a downtown city square Mm. They just like rented out a stage and blocked off the street in front of like all these department stores, and two or three thousand people were there, just wow. pitting hard as fuck. Wow! Like, yeah, and it was like one of the coolest things I'm I've cool, ever seen. I'm that sure band, that, that band rules. By the way, if you if you haven't listened to Whispers, listen to them. They're like, uh, kickback, all out war kind of kind of worship, and they're they're fucking awesome. Yeah, I want to check that out. I Googled it, so I'll get back to that. One last yeah. thing I want to talk to you about before we, we cut you loose, because we're going over an hour here, which is perfect, and it was very quick and natural. I like that, so thank you, Jake. Uh, of course. The big topic of debate in the world today, uh, not just, I'm assuming, not just our DIY <laughs> hardcore metal world, but you know, probably affects other, um, other people too. Merch cuts. Do, do, has judiciary had to deal with merch cuts and like do you have an opinion on that and do you think there's an actual reasoning behind it because we we here at lamb goat obviously none of us that work here currently have had to deal with merch cuts because we we i was in a band you know and i played venues that were pretty diy and not live nation owned or whatever you know what i mean because that was a different time but I never personally had to deal with it, and it seemed like it was a very quiet situation. I'm not saying that they weren't around when I was around. I just we just didn't have to deal with it. Um, but you know, as the conversation grows and as it becomes more public, it, you find out that it's been going on for quite some time. Um, and again, not every venue is guilty of doing this currently either. So not you know there there are other things. But are merch cuts like? And again, you may not have this happen to you specifically but you may know because you know you know other bands and other leveled other bands at different levels um when booking a tour or anything like that are merch cuts discussed prior to or is that something that like when you arrive to the venue that's when you realize oh this cut at this venue is x amount and the other one is x amount and the last night's is x amount so the first part of that is what is my opinion? Yeah. My, my, question, my opinion. Man. My opinion is that it's bullshit. It's 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 predatory behavior by by a corporate entity that is just trying to gain more and more profit where they don't need it. I can, in a way, I can understand doing that for the weekend and Taylor Swift and right. X Y Z artists that you know 
can they may it. have they may have to employ multiple people to sell merch at multiple stations at like a venue that is you know housing thousands of people like you said like Taylor Swift and The Weeknd it's not like your band showing up with one guy <laughs> selling merch or one person selling merch yeah when 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 Taylor Swift sells 10,000 shirts in a night go hound her merch manager for your cut but what I don't understand about it is because to answer your question, we have had to deal with it. Okay. Um, and basically, when we've had to deal with it, it's it's um, kind of we'll get the tour offer. We'll say like we see it's like oh we're playing X venue in X city. Um, there's a few that we know that it's going to happen. When we get the when we confirm the tour and we get more details, like usually like we'll get like a tour book or like email, like detailing like addresses, you know, uh, what is there Wi Fi, blah blah blah. It'll say is there a merch cut and it'll tell you what the cut is. Um, so you go into it knowing what you're getting into. So to, to, um, to sorry, just before I forget, so does like your agent have to agree to that then? And I'm not trying to make them at fault. I'm just trying to fully understand you know the backside of this because this is some stuff that people don't know anything about for the most part yeah it basically if you agree to the tour the tour agrees to pay it like okay. when the when when, when the when the promoter slash the booking agents put everything together there's some sort of agreement somewhere between live nation the live nation owned venues the promoters and the xyz that says like you will pay this gotcha. then when you get to the venue they will count you they will count all your merch and so that way at the end of the night they will count all your merch again say oh you sold this much in soft goods like t-shirts mm-hmm. um you owe us this much um and what's the what's the percentage if you if you want to say cuz some people have said like you know there's been 25 plus percent in Europe right now d- currently going on so it it, it's my experience that it varies a, a bunch of places that I, that we've done. It's like fifteen to twenty. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so it's like part of you doesn't even want to sell merch. Part of you wants to be like, "Hey, get merch at our van." Yeah, is that something? That's like another that. thing that I was going to bring up. Is that something that's accessible to you guys when you're on tour? Like, can you sell it out of the van? Is that like a part of See, but- the venue? You know. See, but then you run into the problem, especially with venues. Um, if they're in a big downtown area, you can't really park your van up front, right. in front of the door. Uh, if they're, you know, maybe the venue doesn't allow in and outs. Nobody wants to on their way out of the show. It might be too busy. They not they might not see you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's like the alternative is, oh, just don't sell merch at this show, which is stupid, because then it's like, well, we can't just sell nothing, because then we'll we won't make any money off the show. Like, Plus, yes, like, we'll get our guarantee. It's also good that people in that area have, like, your stuff, too. And it's, it is, like, it is a, it sucks. Merch cuts suck, but you all, you know, not selling merch, you know, you could, 10 people could buy a shirt, right? And then 10 people are wearing the shirt around town at some point. Yeah. Well, and it's like, it's like this big corporate entity and, like, Live Nation employees know, or I don't want to say no shit, but like that, I don't think that they have context for like what smaller touring bands go through on the other side, mm-hmm. um, because a bunch of them are people who like maybe went to college for like event coordination and everything like that, 
and they see the bigger side of things. Like they're working with the Taylor Swift events yeah. and everything like that. And they're like, oh yeah, everybody can afford this. <laughs> so it's like, when you come to me as a one of four band on a metal package where I sold 15 shirts and you're like, here, yeah. give me my cut. It's like, are you fucking serious? Yeah. Like you guys just like, and then you factor into the, to the fact that the promoter is paying them to rent out that venue and they are, it, most of them are bars or have bars. Mm -hmm. They're, so they're making getting, yeah, bar money. They're making <clears throat> yeah. It's like they're selling seven dollar Lone Star beer that they paid a dollar a can for. It's like they're making enough money. Yeah, they're good. I promise. And it's like then you hear like oh, over the news, it's like oh, Live Nation, Ticketmaster, blah blah blah. They made three point eight billion dollars. Yeah, gross in like net profit. And it's like oh yeah, wonder why. It's yeah. like. Well, all the fees it, too, it, all the fees on the fucking tickets and stuff like that that no one knows what the hell they cover, you know. Yeah, well, and, and like you know, I, I said like Live Nation should just go after the Taylor Swift of the world. I'm glad that bigger artists. I don't know if anything will come of it because like it, it's fucked up, but like we've we've experienced that like our government will say that they care about it and then they just don't rule take against action. it. Yeah, they'll rule for yeah. those fucking entities. In yeah, because I'm sure Live Nation's hands are in a bunch of people's pockets. Um, well, like the, Cure, like, the Cure just tried to fucking sell tickets on their recent tour for like 20, 40 bucks or something like that. And then uh, I don't, I think it's Live Nation. Uh, they just like added way more fees. It was like $40 in fees. It was like almost as much for the ticket, or the fees were almost as much as the ticket. And, you know, they're yeah. upset about that. So, well, and it's like, I'm, I'm, but I am glad that like Taylor Swift, yeah. The the example of what I'm talking about is taking action. She's trying to like help out these smaller artists, which is like it's crazy because like I don't know I, I don't know the lineage of somebody like Taylor Swift, but like I don't know how much time she spent being like a DIY musician. It's very uh, admirable. Not much. I'll give you that. Exactly. <laughs> but it's very admirable of her to recognize that not everybody is in her situation. Well, her fan base so, is so big too. There's different levels of people that like her right there's people that like yeah. her at a very that make a lot of money and there's kids you know and yeah. those kids have parents of all different incomes and all different lifestyles so yeah and again that's when you talk about fucking live nation or those big acts there's so many fucking problems like scalpers and bots that buy tickets up at an ungodly pace and ungodly speed that they you know show sell out like that then you have to buy an exorbitant amount uh, you know a ticket at a, an exorbitant amount so it's fucked. That's why I kind of like the underground, and it's it's not necessarily like that. Like you know, shows do sell out here and there and periodically, but usually those people that are trying to sell tickets, whether it's in like a Facebook group or online, they're not trying to fuck anybody over. You know, they all understand. Yeah. Well, and, and like I, I see a lot of like the people who like are not on the band side or like the quote unquote like industry side of shit yeah. say like, oh, just don't pay it. It's like. <laughs> That what I when I say that they when you get there and they present you something, it's an agreement that you won't a fuck up the venue, you won't do X Y Z B and C line Z point one six five is that you will pay this merch cut. Yeah. So if you don't pay the merch cut, depending on how extra they're feeling that day, they can come after you legally. Yeah. And you, if you want, you know, 
judiciary to, uh, judiciary versus live nation like in a court of law it's like judiciary get hosed every time <laughs> for sure yeah not like, even making it, it to the courtroom dude <laughs> and so so it's like you're the a bunch of these smaller bands are left in like a really stupid fucking position yeah like and yeah that's that's just how it is man I feel you on that. I, I told you I lied. That's not the last question I want to ask. I want to bring up another topic since you are in a pretty heavy band and your Texas Texas people are somewhat wild. Let's bring up moshing and like all that cool stuff because you do guy you have like I said violent shows and stuff like that violent music. Have you noticed? Uh, and again, you may not notice this. It's something that was brought up on the Hard Lord podcast by Jay and, and everything. And those boys are definitely, you know, Colin and Bo are definitely into the moshing, and that's all cool. I mean, I'm into it as well. But I agree with Jay that moshing has definitely changed from the time when I was a kid. Uh, there was only like one or two crazy people doing the wild, crazy moshing, and now it's like everybody. And everyone's just beating the shit out of everybody. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it was so. Like I'm I'm younger than those dudes because so I wasn't around, and I, I I'm from fucking London. Uh, yeah, an area have, where it's not as not as you know aggregate. We didn't have a crazy mosher with face tattoos that was beating mm-hmm. the shit out of kids, and you just didn't fucking mess with them because he might stab you. He's like, wild. He looks stab, crazy. Yeah, we didn't have those guys. Uh, so like, I. But what I've experienced is that the culture is very it, it's it's cool because it's like everybody's pretty on the same page of like yeah you might get a roundhouse to the face <laughs> but you look you better look cool when you go back in there yeah kind of thing like, I think it shocks like the outside world because like we're yeah, so used absolutely. to it right we're used to it and we know that there's an understanding and it just and I, I'm not complaining about it obviously because I. I love everything about hardcore and metal enough to where, like, I, and, I've, and again, I've been around it forever. I prefer, like, the ninja fighting to the push mosh and that kind of stuff. So I, I, liked, I like it all. Um, I'm not a fan of when I get fucking crowd killed or fucking bonked in the head, but it happens all yeah. the time. Uh, and I probably shouldn't be at my age in the area where all that's going down, but it, it is what it is. But I do think that when people outside of the world, uh, outside of our world, watch it because it's you'll see that <laughs> pop off on like other instagram accounts or or uh twitter or facebook groups and accounts and stuff like that yeah normies are just and i hate saying normies but people outside of the scene they see this shit and they're like what the fuck you know what I mean? it's fucking violent <laughs> yeah. but it's not to us you know it's just everyone's having a great time well that's what's funny as you mentioned that like moshing texas wild whatever there, there's a clip that went viral of the mind force set at FYA and there's a guy from text from Dallas that is doing these crazy fucking roundhouse kicks just over and over yeah. and over again in one spot he's just spinning like a fan and uh this girl is oh, yeah, trying to <laughs> weave her way yeah you know exactly what I'm talking Bonk. about he fucking but she shouldn't like, have he, been there in general I don't know what she was doing walking through that see th- this is my advice for people who are just getting in there is an art form to not getting hit just as much as there is an art form to throwing hits. Yeah. Um, like, cover up, be aware of your surroundings, and if you're not ready to be in there, don't be in there. Yeah, keep your head like, on a swivel. You gotta, and even then, dude, it's fucking, it's a minefield. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's a minefield. And yeah. 
the, the other thing I was talking to a, an older head of a uh, guy locally here and he's been booking shows for uh, 30, 40 years almost. I don't know, but he's been doing it for a while. And we were talking about this specific topic a couple weeks ago and he was saying, you know, back in the day that it was still going on, right? People were still moshing the same way. It just, the crowd was, you didn't have as much room. And so yeah. you, were, you were very limited. Whereas now, like you watch like, this is hardcore, FYA, and like, it's just a fucking horseshoe. And like, you know, there's like so much room in the middle. It's like, it, it's like a vacant space and then people just go out there and then they have the ability to do the more wild, crazy shit. And yeah. then, um, you know, they're running back and forth and fucking hitting people and shit and just running around the stage and just clobbering people. Like, part of me thinks like if that space wasn't as available, it wouldn't look as horrible. But again, it also looks cool and it's part of the fucking culture. So it's a give or take, you know? And like you said, you, you have to have your wits about you and you, there is an art to it. And uh, it's, yeah, it's a wild battlefield full of minds. <laughs> you just gotta fucking yeah. watch where you step. Yeah, I, I think that like the room thing, it does allow for people to do way crazier shit, yeah. um, which is cool. But the room thing also gives you way more room to get away. Get, yeah, get away. Like, but there's no reason you, you should can, be going from one side to the other. There's not, you know what I mean? Like, don't you, if you're in the yeah. back, there's no reason to go to the front because you're. That's like one of the worst places to be is like in front of the pit without your being because you're looking back all the time because you're in danger. Yeah. That's a danger zone. There are people. Yeah usually big dudes that don't fucking give a shit but there's people up there screaming the lyrics and doing all this out of the other but yeah there's why would you why would that girl walk through you know what i mean like what was her logic i i think it's because a lot of people came into a lot of people really got into hardcore over the past few years and found it and which is awesome because like you said when it seeps into the mainstream there's people who will see that video of dude from Dallas doing roundhouses like crazy and there's some there's two types of people they'll be like what the fuck is that mm -hmm. oh like, what fucking morons like and then there's the other person that is wide eyed and they go holy shit what yeah. the fuck is that I like, like this chaos and then, yeah exactly which is like how I got into it <laughs> I got into it by watching Sound and Fury videos from like 2011 oh man and I was like yeah this is awesome. I need to. I, I, this is the kind of like because I was already going to metal shows, but I was like, oh my god, these guys look crazy. Um, yeah, I, I had, to go I had to this show. I had bad FOMO last year. Sound of Fury. All the videos coming out from Sound of Fury last year. It was like, fuck, dude. This was like the year to yeah. probably go. But yeah, we just the, slept on it. It was so bad. The speed set. The the picture of Nate or Brody fucking. Oh yeah, stage guys. Diving. Hey, dude, that's yeah. It's fucking wild, man. That's an iconic yeah, speed, image. That's like an iconic iconic image now for hardcore. It's just like that dude just fucking top rope diving off into the crowd, just clobbering everybody. Yeah, he's like two hundred and eighty pounds. He's a like, professional he's, wrestler, dude. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like it's crazy. But he's yeah, like he, I. That that's one thing is like I think that people like when they find the thing and then they're like, oh yeah, they think it's they think they're gonna be protected because I feel like there's a culture in other genres where it's like, oh don't get too close to me like I you know we're 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 in here but like when it's with hardcore it's like 
we're all on the same page that we might get knocked out, but we're here for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you better be on the same page too. And some people just don't realize that till they're on the ground. Yeah. You can get, like, you can stay in the back if you learn about it. Yeah, exactly. So like it takes, I'm, I'm sure like that, that girl probably went like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, not going back uh, to that, not doing that again. Yeah. Which, but she'll probably go back to a show and yeah, she'll I mean, be like, yeah, she's, and she, she'll, she'll be better about it. And she'll tell that story of Mind Force FYA 2019 that I got roundhouse in the face and I was just like, yeah. She'll be you like, know, I was uh, that girl that you probably saw all over the internet. And, and at the very least, I've heard people, like, I have friends of mine that are just like, yeah, I don't mosh, but like, just because I don't want to get hit, but like, I'll stage dive, stage dive. Oh, fun. yeah, 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 yeah. I'm more of that Something guy. Something for everybody. Yeah, I'm more of that yeah. guy. I'm more of the guy that's also like running from the back of the pit to the front to jump on people to get up and like try to fucking you know grab the singer on the microphone or something like that so i'm more into that stuff at this particular point but yeah i mean i was doing moshing when we didn't have enough room so it was a lot of like two-stepping and like you know not swinging a bunch yeah. of fists all the time but yeah see I'm, I'm the dickhead I'm, I'm the dickhead 240 pound mosher i'm sorry everybody <laughs> just banging the sidewalls just clobbering yes. the sides Exactly. Well, Jake, I appreciate your time, man. And uh, for those who have not listened to Flesh and Blood, definitely go check it out. I'll on closed casket activities today. Uh, anything you want to leave off with, or? Um, uh, thank you to everybody who's listened to the record so far. Um, if you haven't checked it out, it's everywhere you can get music. You can stream it. You can order merch. You can see our shows over at judiciarytx.com. Um, I'm sorry, our name is very hard to spell. Um, well, all but, the links are in the description too. So if you're, you know, if you're fucking, if you're feeling it, go check it out. All the links are there too. There you go, Lamb Goat, looking out. Uh, uh, user anonymous at Lamb Goat, you are the enemy. Um, but he's, you know, they they've made that person's made the most comments of all time on Lamb Goat. <laughs> they are so active, it's crazy. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, user anonymous is also fucking hilarious yeah. sometimes. So well, I, we it. like it when bands understand. You know what I mean? Yeah. Bands understand uh, it, and I think bands love those comments. And uh, I think the the readers and the people who are not really used to Lamb Goat or new to Lamb Goat, they have issues with it. Some bands have issues with it too, but you know it is what it is. Yeah, it's all good. I I said uh, leading up to this record because we never got a full good lamb goat roasting. Um, this was the first one we've gotten some... Somebody call this fat fuck lamb of God. That was one of my favorite lamb goat comments ever. That's a reference to um, lamb of God. What's bad about that? You're yeah, fat. exactly. And, <laughs> but, but we got a full lamb goat roasting, so that means we're doing something right. Yeah, so, like, it's a badge it's, of honor. Yeah. It's a badge of honor. Yeah. And, you know, I'm exactly. sure, you know when, if you get a van flip comment on your band, that's a badge of honor. It's, you know, it's... Take take those lumps and keep moving, man. If if no one commented on your article, that's even worse, man. Yeah, um, but yeah, uh, lamb goat uh, user anonymous, fuck you. Um, but also love you. Uh, and yeah, if you want to check us out, we'll be around. Uh, Flesh and blood is out, so we got to play some shows. Cool. Yeah, we'll see you out there on the road in the summer, hopefully. Once you Sounds announce good. everything, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, Jake. Have a good time, man. Take it easy. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Cool. All right, I'll, I'll end this really quick. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little, a little taste of it right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. 
Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers, think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe Grind Podcast. <laughs>